The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the sixth chapter. Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. So what are you giving up for Lent? <laughs> that used to be quite the conversation when I was growing up as a little boy in Minnesota. There were really only two religious traditions in the neighborhood of Como Park where I grew up. There were big Catholic churches and there were big Lutheran churches, as though two very distinct faiths. And I remember the conversations that began on this day through my childhood and it got almost competitive. What are you giving up for Lent? As though one's own fasting and self-denial would be more respected than the other. What are you giving up for Lent is not limited to Roman traditions of Christendom. Certainly not. Throughout Christianity, this season and others become opportunities when we may deny ourselves certain things so that in remembrance of those, we become mindful of the wounds of Christ and faith is increased. Things changed a good bit. I think through my childhood in 1963, Pope John XXIII convened the Second Vatican Council and certain strictures of rubrics and piety in the Roman traditions, in the opinion of some, were relaxed. Abstinence from eating meat was not year-round but became a, a discipline of Lent, specifically. Other kinds of ecumenical efforts held forth with greater intent intentionality. 
But it seems with each new Ash Wednesday, as we approach the day, I hear again the Inquisition. What are you giving up for Lent? For some, I think it's things to eat. Maybe it's beer. Maybe it's Snickers or buttered popcorn. I don't know. I do remember one of my favorite colleagues when I was on active duty as an Air Force chaplain gave up all forms of alcohol and sweets for Lent. And he lost 40 pounds. <laughs> he proceeded then to carbo-load an International House of Pancakes in preparation for his uh, physical training test and reaccomplished those 40 pounds uh, straight away. I loved that chaplain. I was impressed with his self-discipline, if not his modesty. I am suspicious of announced Lenten intentions. I am suspicious of those things that prepare us to celebrate the resurrection six weeks from now by giving up something that's not really going to encumber us terribly. Are we really going to draw closer to the Creator by not drinking Budweiser or having Snickers or buttered popcorn for the next six weeks, except Sundays? Even less so am I convinced when someone makes a public point of their piety or compares it to another. Hear what St. Matthew says. Beware of practicing your piety before others to be seen by them, for they have received their reward. There you have it. It's the simplest gospel, the simplest urgency that's placed upon you. Don't put your piety before others that they may be impressed with you. Don't put your piety before the Lord as though the Lord is going to be impressed. It's sort of like my dad poking me in the chest when I was growing up. Remember where you came from, I remember him saying, as though a skinny little ectomorph from Minnesota could ever forget. I remember the warnings about arrogance, particularly spiritual arrogance, throughout my life. As a result, I think Lutherans are literally, at times, afraid of good works, that if we especially do them, we're afraid that someone might think we're earning our salvation. It's a harsh gospel on Ash Wednesday, strong in its caution to avoid practicing one's piety in a self-aggrandizing way, as though to say, look at me, look at what I've given up. Careful, careful, says the Lord. Beware of practicing your piety before others. Everybody knows, I guess, I retired from active duty four years ago as the chief of chaplains in the Air Force. My successor was a Baptist from North Carolina. He developed a theme for the chaplain ministry I rather envy. It came out in a patch and people could wear it on uniforms and it abounded in Air Force chapels and throughout the community. And it was simple, it said, Faith Works. Faith Works had a logo of a construction project and it said simply, Faith Works. Wish I'd have thought of that. It's very simple. That faith is consequential in a person's life. I really believe it is. It changes us. Faith works. Also provide an alternative, I think, to the, the fear Lutherans have of good works. It's almost like we're afraid of doing them. Someone might think we're earning our salvation. You know the distinction, I think. When people do something that is selfless and kind and it is truly rooted like a reflex in their relationship with God. Or those who do things in order to be seen by others, that they will be impressive. You've heard such prayers, you've seen such behavior. 
It's scary to me. This last week I read about, here in San Antonio, a fast food worker found $900 in their particular restaurant. That person remembered where that customer sat and was resourceful enough to find that person and return their $900. It became quite a story on WOAI. It was in the San Antonio Express News. But the person who found the money and returned it did not want their name published. And they asserted very clearly, what else could I do? Am I going to keep it? That would be against my religion. <laughs> it was so simple, so sincere, so direct. The person didn't want notoriety. They wanted the $900 to go back to the person who lost it. I think the scriptures and the confessions of our church are clear that the faith gets in us. It gets inside you. When you come to Holy Communion, the bread and the wine, the body and blood of Christ get in you, literally. And I believe it transforms us to faith works. Not good works that we accomplish in order to impress, but faith works that are like reflex. Tap me on the patellar tendon of my knee and my leg, hopefully, will respond. Curl the bottom of a person's foot and the toes will come in. That's a reflex. Brush against their eyelids and they'll turn back. It's reflex. To me, those are faith works. Not things we do because we must, because we get to. The distinction of law and grace that comes to expression, I think, beautifully in Lent when we have opportunity for faith works. Not to impress, but to prepare ourselves so that with every deprivation, if that's what it is, that we deny ourselves if we're hungry or thirsty or accustomed to certain habits, the deprivation of those reminds us of Christ's suffering for me. This past week, I addressed the military order of the Purple Heart by invitation. Not that I deserve to be there. I didn't deserve to be in the same room with those heroic people. But they invited me to come talk to them, and I was honored to do so. I sat in a room full of mostly men, but there were women uh, awardees of the Purple Heart as well, particularly from recent conflicts. Though I didn't belong in that room, a, a gentleman came up to me, and he wanted to speak to me, and I was wondering what he was going to say. He wanted to know more about me, not to talk about himself, because he was from Minnesota. He wanted to talk about what it was like growing up in real Minnesota, Duluth, which is way north. It, and he considered St. Paul a place just slightly north of maybe Wichita Falls. Real Minnesota, what it's like. And he was a World War II veteran, a Marine in World War II who returned, not wounded in that war, but he went then to medical school, University of Minnesota, and became an Air Force flight surgeon. And he was wounded because he didn't wear a protective armor in combat that he designed. He told me a story in humility. He didn't tell me the story that he had MD and PhD degrees, that he was an absolutely resourceful and pioneering parasitologist. PhD, MD, none of this, Bronze Star, he didn't tell me that. He wanted to know about a guy who was also from Minnesota. Never put himself forward as some kind of hero, but as a servant. That taught me about faith works. And in concluding, my brothers went to Vietnam. I was in college and seminary. I did not. But during that period of time, it reminds me that our nation was as divided then, I think, as it is now. 
people were against other family members because of political points of view, such as is reflected in the culture today, and how to overcome that. One of my heroes of that period of time was a stand-up comedian who became an author. His name was Dick Gregory. And Dick Gregory, an African-American person, perceived and found by research that African-American persons, boys, were conscripted at greatly greater rates than white boys, particularly if they were affluent enough to avoid the draft. The injustice was so great to him that when 50,000 Americans had been killed, disproportionately African-Americans, he decided to fast. He withdrew from eating solid food in 1971 and would not eat solid food again until he saw justice obtain or an end to that conflict. That, to me, was not based upon notoriety for himself or to achieve political office, but to call prophetically attention to what he saw as injustice. During that period of his fasting, he wrote in a book he authored, which I treasure to this day, that his daughter came into the room while he was writing, and she had an apple in her hand. And as she bit into that apple, the sound of it reminded him of solid food that he had not had in two years. He said if his mind would not remember, if he did not have the intellectual acuity and discipline to remember injustice, his body reminded him. His fasting reminded him. Faith works. Not good works to get attention, but faith works as a prophet. That taught me. When you care for the disadvantaged, when you welcome a refugee and no one sees, that's faith works. If we as a people welcome those without a home, it's not for the good of the economy or for political points. If we welcome persons because they have no home, it's faith works. As the scriptures remind us, remember you were slaves in Egypt as well. So what are you giving up for Lent? I don't want to know. <laughs> the Lord rewards in secret. The gospel according to Matthew today just wants you to know that Jesus gave up his very self so that where he is, you and I, we may be also, always. Amen.